mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, a podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel bad about. I'm your host, Karen Adonhu, and there's gotta be more to life than making out. Joining me is the author who is doing it for his country, Seamus O'Reilly. Hello. You owe it to your country. I do. I really, I really do think there is more to life than making out. I just want that to be clear up top. But two hours, you can feel like there is little left. There's little else. That's Everything the in the film Grease 2 revolves around who is making out. Um, it's one of the horniest movies that's ever been made. Tell me why you chose this today. Well, considering I've just described it as one of the horniest movies. <laughs> because I'm a made. horny man with horny thoughts. Um, well, astonishingly, we had that weird, chaste uh, affection for it in my family. So um, to set it up, Grease 2 is one of those movies in our family um, my very large family about which I've written uh, where we watched the video of this so many times that we convinced ourselves that it was a sort of a blockbuster a classic it was one of those movies that just everyone had seen it was like Jaws or Star Wars or something or Grease 1 yeah you know but uh, it was I was messaging with my family and just this week and I was asked how many times do you think we watched it and they were like it must have been easily hundreds because we would watch it sometimes twice a weekend and then on the summer holidays you'd watch it maybe every two or three days and it was in this weird roll call because we grew up way out in the sticks on the Derry Donegal border we didn't have a blockbuster or an extravision anywhere near us but my dad taped 800 films off the TV mm-hmm. kept them all in the garage all itemised and numbered he built, did up a brochure on a very early sort of database programme and quite grandly he would put in the name the stars but then he'd also put in like the rating that he'd given it himself. Oh no, my uh, God! I, I don't mean like five stars. I mean like 18, 12, PG. But oh, a, I thought your dad was like a, his own Roger Ebert. That would have been the icing on the cake. I mean, he did weirder stuff than that. For example, he would say how long it was and how long was left on the tape so that he could always go back and use it. I mean, this is a guy... That's very pragmatic. Very much. But he also would use that to create sort of mind-bending double bills. So some of the tapes, obviously, you could get two films on, which was like, you know a thrill for my dad because it meant he was saving a tape. Yeah. Which meant that sometimes you'd have double bills that made sense. Like, I think Beverly Hills Cop and the Muppet movie are together, I think, which is a pretty good one. Totally. I feel like they bop along at the same at the same beat. Yes, but they also had ones like uh, Highlander and Pride and Prejudice were on the same tape. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, and A Woman's Heart, a performance of the RTE uh, Woman's Heart thing with... Eleanor McAvoy and Sharon Shannon and all these right, right. sort of Irish folk music with a female slant was on the same tape as Robocop. So you'd need to be in a very specific mood. Um, but because we were feckless children who just sat and watched whatever was in front of us, we would watch both back to back. Yeah. You know, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was on the same tape as I think the last third of Ben-Hur. So, so we would 
a better ending for Ben Hur, I think. It, yeah, and that's absolutely. fantastical twist into Doctor Caruss's yeah. Caracas. Um, we had Police Academy four followed by Police Academy two on one tape. So that's two terrible films out of order. Yeah, without the film that's actually in the middle. So, like that could just that could genuinely be used as like CIA torture. I think having watched that, <laughs> I genuinely worry for children now for for many reasons, but chiefly because they're not forced to watch the same things over and over again because of endless content, etc. How do you form a sort of idiosyncratic personality if not based on the shit lying around your house? I suppose it's your parents trying to make you like cool things. Like I'm constantly trying to get my son to listen to sort of abstruse electronic music. But oh, he, yeah. he wants to listen to The Wiggles. So of all the th- tapes that you had lying around, like Ben-Hur and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and, and A Woman's Heart, why is it that Grease 2 like, lodged so firmly like shrapnel in your heart? Well, we really loved Grease as well. It wasn't... Yeah. But most of us, I think as kids, might have told you that Grease 2 was our favourite. And I think it's because of the disparity between our, uh, our, our love for it, which was very, you know, very real... And the fact that whenever we went into the wider world, like, you know, people who'd been trapped in a nuclear bunker <laughs> for 40 years and realised that nobody else, if they yeah. had seen it, they hated it. And most people just hadn't seen it or maybe had seen it once. It was never on TV, mm. um, obviously, apart from the time that my dad taped it. Um, so it was just, it had no cultural impact whatsoever. And it was like, it was weird. It was like, you know, a sort of slightly more engaging version of that film yesterday by Richard Curtis, where... <laughs> You walk up and you wake up and no one's heard of Greece too. I'm like, maybe I could imagine the millions you could make by doing it for my country. I know. Um, yeah, so that the, it's that disparity because there were other movies that had that same effect. Brewster's Millions, which mm-hmm. and Overboard, which are kind of movies that people. Overboard's a great movie. Absolutely, and they're movies that people have heard of, but in our house, it, they were like Empire Strikes Back, and you know, a Marvel movie. They were huge. Yeah, you know, they were like in the top five obviously the top five best-selling films of all time. They must be, um, because we watched them so much and they were so, like, there are still, like, I haven't seen Grease 2 in 20 years yeah. until I watched it again. And I still knew almost all of it off by hand. Like, I have people that I work with on a fairly regular basis whose faces and names I can't remember. Like, before I had to go back to my house on the way here because I'd forgotten my wallet and my phone. Like, I can still remember every single thing in this film. Which is not to say that I didn't have uh, quite a few revelations watching it, I think, for the first time as an adult. I was, that was my next question. So when you rewatched it for the purposes of this podcast, what was, was anything that surprised you? Just how horny it was. Because I've mentioned this to people before, that like this was like such a sort of monumental film in our family like cinematic library. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also we'd laugh about, geez, it was so horny and that song in the bunker and the fact that they're all just talking about you know kind of scoring all the time but it's really really like shocked me <laughs> just, it's every single yeah scene and it's every single motivation of every single character and it's also endlessly rewarded there's not really a it's no one's set up for a fall by being so horny it's like no no that's that's just what's driving this story because hey it's good to be horny and these guys are you know tip top at it True, it's a very shame-free environment, is Greece too. Yeah, um, I suppose, yeah, people get dunked in water and like this sort of like... 
the only crime there is in the Grey's universe is being a square. That is, oh my God, I hate squares. <laughs> oh my God, dunk on the squares. But um, I, I had never seen this film until you made me watch it. <laughs> and, um, uh, but, but my experience of it has been that once every six years I uh, find out that there's somebody in my life very close to me who feels very passionately about this film I'm so happy to hear it I know so the weird thing is I, my next question was is this a Northern Irish thing because I have years and years and years ago long before I moved to London I had um, a, a Donegal ex who was then boyfriend who was obsessed with it to the point where he called me Stephanie Zanoni all the time that's the greatest, greatest compliment. compliment so obviously I'm with a lovely man now and have been for many years and I hope to be for many years but I kind of want to go back in time and yes. kiss my old Donegal boyfriend do you want to turn back <laughs> oh, turn the greatest compliment oh. I've ever received from a man and it's only now like 15 years later I can understand what a compliment I can't it believe was. you didn't immediately watch the I mean we're going to get to Stephanie's and only because <laughs> Let's get to all wow, of it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Do, do we need to give a bit of a setup to people who've not seen Yes. <laughs> There's the, here's the plot summary coming in hot. All right. Grease 2 returns to Rydell High in 1961 with a new class of T-Birds and Pink Ladies. The Pink Ladies are ruled by Stephanie Zanoni, who is starting to get sick of her long-term boyfriend, Johnny Nagarelli. Made up sounding Italian names. A big stalwart in Greece too. Stephanie quickly catches the eye of an English exchange student, Michael Carrington. And hoping to win her over, Michael tries to overcome his, quote unquote, nerdy ways. Nerd. <laughs> Nerd. So yeah, it's basically a gender flipped Greece where the, it's a bad girl versus a square guy. But there's really nothing to recommend what is so square about Michael Carrington. He's... The most beautiful young man I've ever seen. I mean, he's got like those sort of big milky movie star eyes. His skin, you know, makes you want to throw yourself in front of a bus. (laughs) I mean... They they could have at least put glasses on him, you know? They don't even want to commit to the fact that he's undesirable. He's the most beautiful man ever. And what makes him nerdy is that he's English and he knows who Shakespeare is. Also, it's kind of subverting the whole trope that, I mean, you see again and again in American culture where automatically as someone with a sort of middle to posh English accent is kind of endlessly attractive to these yeah. kind of, you know, colonial squares kind of thing. Rydell High are in the ra. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you mentioned Stephanie Zanoni. I think I just have to... She, I had such a crush on Stephanie Zanoni. You know one of those like pre-sexual crushes you have where it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know what it is, but wow. Um, she was just the dreamiest of the dreamiest. And obviously, I didn't get that whole thing where I'd go back and say, wow, she really was dreamy because it's Michelle Pfeiffer. We know that Michelle Pfeiffer is extremely dreamy. Yeah. But even still, I'm like, wow. She sort of breaks the camera when she enters. <laughs> it's when it's that whole, that whole musical number where it's back to school and we're meeting all the characters and it's a very standard musical number. It's really well choreographed. It's really fun. And then she just walks in off the bus with the fucking blonde hair and the sunglasses and the pink lady's jacket. No one's ever been cooler or hotter. It like... Her face It's mathematically perfect. It's like it's like a it's like a cruel joke how beautiful she is. <laughs> it's almost it's cruel. It's a cruel joke. It's like you know those um early PlayStation renderings of Lara Croft and her yeah. face is so pointy? <laughs> it's that the jagged points to her face that almost shouldn't be as be beautiful because they're so hard. Yeah. But then there's these big eyes and it's oh it doesn't make sense. And also she's gotta do a lot of the heavy lifting in the film. And she's She's Michelle Pfeiffer good at acting as well. Like, yeah. you know, we know that Michelle Pfeiffer is also a very good actress. So, like, she holds, I mean, it's not a great amount of work to have to, it's not a great role to do so much work with, but 
you really believe her whenever she's saying these hammy lines about being unhappy. I mean, her main problem in life is that she wants to have sex with someone who has a motorbike. <laughs> That's her main thing. That's it. It's no dope deeper than that. Like the, the thing I could not understand about Stephanie Zanoni is as much as I loved her instantly and will follow her to the end of the earth. Um, is that at, so at some point over the summer she had some kind of existential crisis which means she no longer wants to be with Johnny Nagarelli. Yeah. I mean we all get to that stage with Johnny every once in a while. <laughs> we do. And so she wants to throw off the shackles of the T-Birds but she's throwing off the shackles of the T-Birds by having she has to have someone exactly like them. Yeah. Well, by the way the, the, if anyone hasn't seen the original Grease by some miracle like the same sort of feudal tithing of concubines yes! is a place where uh, the T-Birds and the Pink Ladies they're not just pals. They are exclusively in a relationship tract where a T-bird can only ever go out with a pink lady and vice versa. Which, apart from being just completely mental anyway, also, when they break up, you've got, like, one spare T-bird. <laughs> like, what do, you, what do you do? I mean, in, in, a, in a social system which is entirely predicated on horniness, it's a hornocracy. Does Johnny Nogarelli have to go to like the Pink Lady Committee and say, "I'm afraid you have to get another member Elect because, or or one of the one of my fellow T birds is going to have to, you know, dump his Pink Lady?" So that I, I mean, it's just completely bananas. Because my understanding of the first Grease was, yeah, that they are they're just like you know, two gangs who like getting jackets printed and they hang out and yeah. they and they have a good time and some of them date. But in Greece too, they are specifically a harem, yeah. a mutually <laughs> dependent harem for each other. Yeah, it's a zero sum game. It's a zero snog game. You have to you, you can't exit the system. Yeah. Um or, you know, without consequences. Like it, <laughs> when <laughs> when Stephanie Zanoni, our dearest, dearest, dearest pal, she has a, a little flirty moment with uh, Michael who in incognito as mm-hmm. uh, a guy that we'll get to the cool writer it's cool. an amazing name um, even without the obvious Irish double connotation of the term writer but uh, they're so incensed by this explicitly because he's not a T-bird that they chase him to what they presume is his death so yeah. it does have it actually does have martial significance like you can actually be killed because you <laughs> you're exiting the T-bird pink lady axis of snogging. Yeah, yeah. There seems to be very few rewards for being within the T-bird pink lady nexus. Yeah. Other than, and because they don't even get laid. And also there's this, uh, this sort of weird um, sort of aristocratic sort of fluffing that the other members of the T-birds have to do to whoever is the leader. Yeah. Which is really weird. And they're all... Which that democratic process is never revealed. It's, no, it's never. But like they all just kind of stand to his side and like big him up. Mm. It's very di- dignity phobic. I think it's <laughs> dignity phobic. Yeah, like that could never happen in an Irish school. Like we couldn't, we didn't even have like a, I used to always think that when we, I'd watch things as a kid, like Homecoming Queen and King and Queen and all that, or, you know, the Lady of the Dance, you know, whatever they, like, yeah. like as if that would happen. Like, what well, I'm going to say who the best person in our year is? Absolutely not. There's just, we're just way, way too cynical. Like, are you completely bananas? Like, the no. no. Yeah, the notion of electing one of your peers and saying they're better. Like, the, the tallest poppy thing of oh Ireland would God. never allow for it. That person would be murdered the next How day. How dribblesomely complacent would you have to be in your life that you would want the success of anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Well, not quite, but you know, especially at 16 or 17, you're like, oh, 
there was it was never expressed on mass. Oh, that guy is the coolest of all of yeah. us. What are you talking about? You see him, he's the coolest. <laughs> see that guy. You know, cool guys. He's the coolest. You've heard of cool guys, yeah. haven't you? He's the coolest one. He's the coolest one. I will add a caveat. I went to an all boys school. And Johnny Nazarelli might not have done very well, but I do feel like if Stephanie Zanoni was in an all-girls school in Ireland, she she probably would actually win that. Yeah, she would. You'd yeah. just be like, can I just can I just throw my life down for you right now? Fall asleep on your cheekbones. Oh, can you imagine? Yeah. Um, I have a theory. I think Stephanie had a baby over the summer. <laughs> I think that's what happened because she comes in so filled with like existential like moroseness mm-hmm. and like she's so repellent to Johnny she wants someone exactly like Johnny he has a motorbike bike and a jacket um, and she but she can't be near Johnny or the two beards it was Johnny's baby and I think she is now the unofficial sister of that baby <gasps> And it's got a little pink lady baby <laughs> yeah. doll. Yeah, I think she's been severely... Yeah, it's very common, especially in this time period. My word, that is excellent. <laughs> That's excellent headcanon. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it also speaks to the fact that Greece won, which shall be forever known as now. Greece won. Greece won. Uh, it was, it was again, it was another one which we watched 200 times. And I was well into adulthood before I copped that the most of the second half of that movie is a bit of a pregnancy scare <laughs> yeah that was as a child I was just like funny songs and cool guys I had it just didn't clock I heard the words as they were being said but I didn't know what uh, um, that was about and when she said I'm not pregnant at the end I was like whatever that means yeah. we go together <laughs> you know so I th- the thing about um, Grease 2 is that you have to look at it in the in the larger context of what it thought it was trying to do mm. and I think what it thought it was trying to do is establish Grease as a genre of movie yeah. and Grease is a genre of movie according to the things that it picked up from the last one and it's obviously because it was there was supposed to be originally like six movies and there was supposed to be a TV series oh I didn't realise there that. was a whole wider brand synergy plan for the Greece universe one of them was called Son of Greece and <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously Stephanie Zanoni's baby oh my god <laughs> Um, and so, so, and, and clearly, what they have like you know boiled down and derived from the Greece franchise in making Greece two is that Greece movies are movies that are nostalgically about something that happened twenty years ago. So um, the first one was made in the seventies and it was about the fifties, right? Mm-hmm. And the second one was made in the eighties, about the sixties. So a Greece three coming out now would be about the year two thousand and one. That's I hate those things when people say that. Like, I know I hate myself for saying it. No, but I I no I think they're amazing. I I love because I love breaking my brain like that. Like someone mentioned that 1980 is closer to 1939 than it is to 2021. Hate it. I know it's not good. Send it back. Send it back. And so it's just, so so that's a that's a key tenant of what a Greece movie is. And the other thing is is that it's it's about a kind of an imagined nostalgic world that never really existed. Yeah. And in that world all that matters is sex. Yeah, and I suppose that kind of heuristic, you see that in The Wonder Years or that 70s show, um, maybe Everybody Hates Chris as well, the yeah. shows which are explicitly about a time and a place as much as they are about the characters and mm-hmm. the plot. And the thing about the first Grease is that it had songs for days. So it's it's just better on that level. And then secondly, it was kind of this massive sort of worldwide phenomenon. So I presume that they were following it up just because, well, we need to mint another one of these. Mm. But it didn't seem like it was interrogating what this time was actually like. Because, I mean, it's set in 1961, but it's still pretty much the exact same thing. You know, they yeah. mentioned that Kennedy's president. That's the only thing. 
Um, other than that, it's exactly the same things are going on. Some of the same actors, um, because I mean, it's realistic enough that like two years after the first one, you'd have you know some of the same teachers and stuff. But then you've got Frenchie. Frenchie makes up. me sad in this film. <laughs> she's showing up and she's just there, and she does the most astounding bit of exposition to start with. <laughs> so Michael Carrington, played by Maxwell Caulfield, yeah. Either one of those could be flipped and sound equally fake. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Yeah. He's like, doesn't matter. What's your real name? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's even worse. Um, He ended up in Emmerdale eventually. And uh, he, I said that really like the way my dad said. (laughs) You really did? Do you know he was was on uh, Emmerdale last week? I was like, thank you for that, daddy. You don't need to ring me. I'm sweating because you only ring me whenever someone's died. But I'm glad that Frank Kelly from Father Ted is now in Emmerdale. Anyway. He uh, he is introduced because he is Sandy from the first film's cousin. Yes. So didn't need to do that. It's a gossamer thin thread from the last movie. Um, but she sets it up with like, it's a, it's about 90 seconds long. And it's just information. Well, you know, since they've all gone away and I'm back, but here I am and I'm helping out. Blah, blah, blah. I think she's like helping out. And she wants to get, she, she dropped out and she wants to go back to get her chemistry yeah. thing so she can start a skincare line. And you never see her again, apart from like little bits no. where he's like checking in about his woes with the wonderful Stephanie Zanoni. Yeah. But like, she's a real, it's a real support part. She could have filmed all of that in like, one afternoon. It, yeah, it, it does make me a little sad, particularly, and you always hear, it, it's such a, a stalwart of sort of Hollywood script stories gone bad, which I love hearing, um, of like, oh, you know, this thing is like six drafts melded into one. And that that is the Grease 2 story, <laughs> isn't it? Because there, okay, of all the drafts, there, there, there's a draft of Grease 2 that's about campishly poking fun at everything that made Greece one successful. So um like blowing up all these like horny stakes to like a John Waters level of like fluorescent bizarre craziness which is like do it for your country and reproduction yeah. and that's what that draft is doing there's another draft that's like about oh following on from the legacy and all this and like let's really sew in what the Greece world is all about and let's take this very seriously a literal expanded universe and expanded yeah which is what the sort of Frenchy stuff is doing and then there's there's like all these like um storylines that get like poked and nudged at with a stick um and it's like all of these drafts have been distilled into this sort of one mono draft where some of it is filled with the most colourful, bizarre, interesting, weird, catchy, brilliant moments. And some of it is like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. And like also, you know, the threads of kind of like male longing and kind of possession and sort of, we'll say it again, horniness. That's there in Greece 1 as well. Yeah. It's absolutely there. And you can obviously wield that and have your cake and eat it and, and kind of address... That was kind of weird the way teenage boys acted back then and won't it reflect on how teenage boys still act to this day. It doesn't really do that, though. It just It's just like, these guys are horny and it's fucking cool. Isn't it great how horny these guys... There's one song, which, I mean, called Prowlin', which yeah. is like, it's just... The three of them talking about how they're going prowling with an apostrophe. Um, <laughs> and apostrophe that's are for cool guys. Yeah, that's what I don't like about it. I, I draw that's where you draw the line. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Syntax, grammar, spelling, please. Um, and it's it's like a piss take of itself. Like I could imagine that being in the John Waters version mm. only if they were then set up to be the villains of the piece or to get their comeuppance, to get even the sort of uh, cream pie in the face yeah. that you sometimes saw in the first Grease. But they don't. They're all completely... They are the stars of the film and it's just considered like 
a kind of a cool, catchy way of them describing how they're looking to <laughs> go out and just be very lascivious and weird. <laughs> the first verse of Prowlin is just fucking them talking about there's this girl the butcher shop and they're yeah. just like cited, like listing girls they've seen which yeah I the find... sacking all the peaches she's the apple of my eye I'm like oh, let's see what you did there but yeah. it, it's also not a great song that's the no. other thing the, the, the great songs in this are great the skip overs remain skip overs um, I think we're going to score tonight rocks really I do and I actually think score tonight is one of the best examples of one which it has almost nothing to do with what's going on. It's not like, you know, one of those uh, musicals which starts off with like, well, you know, I've always wondered about my taxes and then whatever. <laughs> it's like it branches off. It's just like um, a song that is just dropped in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's what's it called? Exegetic. It's in, it's in the actual sh- thing. Like they're at the bowling alley and then they all start singing and dancing and everything. You know, you suspend your disbelief about that. But it doesn't really move the story along it doesn't do it it's not it's just all them saying they're going to score tonight at the bowling but I presume they also just mean like kissing but like they're all coupled up anyway so yeah it's just like we're in healthy relationships <laughs> it's like alright cool thanks for the status update it's <laughs> thank a, you it's not driving there's no want there. it, it is a funny thing because like that is supposed to be the sort of internal logic of musicals isn't it is that the characters are are singing feelings that are so strong they can't be said right yeah. and that's and every song should have an emotional reason and very few of the songs in Greece 2 have an emotional reason for existing it's just like and I, and I think a lot of that has to do I, I want to be you know a woman supporting other women and everything is that the director of Greece 2 is the choreographer of Greece 1 who is patently like not a director yeah and um, and she she's you know this very esteemed choreographer on Broadway, but she, whenever you see her being interviewed, and I looked at a few things on YouTube, it's just her smoking a fag, being like, "Yes, yeah, a great choreographer, did some great choreo." <laughs> well, there there is some great choreo. I know, but, but like narratively, <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense. And also, like the thing about that is as well, if if you're so steeped in that, like it makes absolute sense. Greece is itself very stagey in places, but it's also a movie in between. This felt like a stage show that had like some movie elements yeah so it, it, even down to the fact that the casting of every single person like even all the background players I mean I love them so much like watching the extras because they're all theatre kids and it doesn't matter if they're dressed up as greasers or nerds or jocks it doesn't matter they're all theatre kids it's like when you see a, like a kitten calendar and they're like oh he's a fireman on September and uh, he's a <laughs> they're all he's kittens a they're all kittens they're, they have all of the threat of like a Furby like there's nothing there really yeah. and it's really really funny to watch them especially um, t- uh, the T-Bird goons like the, the lower just below Johnny including uh, Goose played by Chris McDonald oh. uh, Shooter McGavin and uh, wait who is that Shooter McGavin is from Happy Gilmore I think oh my god yeah 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 um, and he's like it, 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 he's just kind of like the, you know the, the, Johnny Najarelli will be talking and the rest of them do that real Broadway thing where they're all like you know for <laughs> listeners I'm, I'm just kind of leaning forward so as to like kind of form a nice sort of almost like a, a proscenium arch around the character and it's so brilliant because it's, it's really fun to watch but it completely jumps you out of the movie like it's very stagey and also means that if the song isn't good and the performance doesn't grab you then like there's nothing really yeah it just, it just feels very uncomfortable which is that thing of like wow there are these great moments in this movie but also these moments where you're just like who's asleep at the wheel here do you like reproduction the song <laughs> yes and yes um, 
that and that that was one of the parts that really really worked for me because yeah. again it exists for no reason um, but and also to link it back to that sort of John Waters thing Tab Hunter is the um, supervised teacher who is uh, singing the song oh, how does it start again it's like the most awkward sonic delivery ever it's like he does do that he does the thing I was talking about he's sort of it's like sprackgesangen he goes he starts off speaking and then throughout their courses he's yeah. still saying and everyone knows that the reproduction is he's speaking yeah. while they're all singing which I think is actually still sounds really arresting and interesting it's very interesting because it's not just sort of 50s diner kind of Americana yeah. kind of stuff it's just him talking like this reading from a book yeah. it's, like, it's kind of a bit more like the B-52s or like talking heads it does yeah. feel like the B-52s that's such an accurate thing and like so he's Tab Hunter but like um, he was in a John Waters movie like three years previously ah. playing opposite Divine as Divine's husband and he was like a, he was a 50s heartthrob and then John Waters like repurposed him as like this joke figure that making makes, fun of that so this has almost actually gotten him the job here because yeah, this is such a John Waters character yeah because he's kind of stuffed but you can absolutely tell that he was he's like a handsome man mm. but he's like playing a Clark Kent style fumbling guy with big glasses and a ridiculously big shirt and you kind of detect a frisson between him and the very attractive Miss teacher Miss Mason Miss Mason oh my god I can't believe the two hottest blonde women who've ever lived are in this film <laughs> when do you get two at once Oh, I know. Just like because you got Michelle Pfeiffer, and it's like wow, never has a, a fawn so delicate stumbled out of the woods in front of my very eyes. Me, the clunky hunter, and um, then you get Miss Mason, who is like everything good you remember about Brigitte Bardot, but with none of the problems. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you, none of the lines. Yeah, <laughs> none of the li- She's just the hottest person ever. <laughs> It's like huge helmet blonde hair and these eyes, but like it just totally works. And she does that kind of very 50s, early 60s uh, movie thing of she's uh, supposed to be kind of slightly airheaded. Um, and you can tell because she walks like this, like <laughs> backwards and forwards, like a little tiny little meerkat. Yeah. Um, she gives a really character for performance. I think she does really well. And she's, she knows what movie she's in, just like Blanche mm. and the headmistress. The two principal characters, yes. They know what film they're in. Or actually, they're in a better film and they've just yeah. brought us into every once in a while. Sid Caesar, the coach. I mean, it's amazing. But like all of the teen stuff, it's very hit and miss. <laughs> With the exception of Do It For Your Country. Yes. That song... Set it up for us. It is the most so, arresting teen love song. So this is a weird sit for the calm. But the basic premise is that one of the T-Birds, he really wants to... Louis. Louis. He mm-hmm. wants to get to third base uh, with his uh, his best gal. Sharon. Mm-hmm. Wow, you know all the names. I watched a few times. Did you actually? I watched this movie once. I watched this clip on YouTube several times. So basically, he finagles his way into a, a nuclear bunker or a mock nuclear bunker, which can be used for a bit of private time because no one's going to be around. Mm-hmm. And so he manages to, in song, convince Sharon that it would actually not be unpleasant to have sex with him mm-hmm. it would actually be really cool quite rad and also extremely patriotic by singing we're going to do it for our country the red white and the blue because I believe they mock that an actual nuclear strike is happening by setting the alarms off yeah yeah um it's very japes <laughs> yeah it's super japesy and then of course it all collapses because his two mates are listening outside like comedy kind of like vaudeville comedians with the glass yeah. behind them and then they stumble in 
which doesn't make sense either, but it's like a real Laurel and Hardy kind of thing. And then yeah. she's like, oh, you're a pig. And you're like, yeah, you are a pig. That's like ridiculous. But here's the thing. Mm. I responded. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yeah, that's fair game. Um, okay, so yeah, it's everything you just said it was. And it's this, okay, first of all, I find that sort of like, Cold War scare thing hot the yeah. whole because this is the whole duck and cover era it is. of like nuclear threats and came the, out in the eighties when that was all getting started again yes yeah. so it must have felt throbbing yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so I find that era very romantic anyway yeah. I, I I don't know I find that thing of like being a sort of a sixties teenager and a poodle's girl but knowing that the world could collapse in on you absolutely like narratively compelling and so the fact that they're in this sort of like desolate bunker you know compared to sort of pastels of the, the rest of their world and his voice is beautiful yeah it's the only like tr- properly good vocal performance of the thing and yeah. He's like, and I'll win this war for you. And you believe him? And he's kind of, they're kind of, there's also that sort of rugged soldier thing where she's like dressing uh, his yes. arm. And then he's kind of sweaty. And they're just, they're just kind of young, not as young as they're actually built to yeah. be, which we will get onto. I've got all of their ages written down, if you want to know. Um, but yeah, there's, it's, it does do that thing where it's balancing the horror of war which has its own little hot dark side. Yeah. And then there is also just this sort of squeaky clean, uh, neat sort of yeah. poodle dresses. Like, I can see that that is kind of, that's arresting, that's good. Yeah, it's And the song's hot. good. He's hot also. Interesting. That's important. You, you, you've got a Louis thing. Yeah, gonna tell my grandkids that that was Marianne and Connell. <laughs> Him and his vest, and she's just like. And the, the, the interesting thing about the song, like narratively as well, it's really clever and funny because, like, he's being like, you know, I might go off to war and die tomorrow, so you better shag me. Which is how men have been getting laid for centuries. Mm. It's why wars uh, were <laughs> invented. Why wars were invented. Yeah. So people get laid, and um, and she's like, oh, you're going to war tomorrow, and she's thinking like very pragmatically about what war will in- involve. And he's just like, fuck me. Yeah, really, <laughs> genuinely. Yeah, that's, gen- that's, genuinely. That is, that is not an exaggeration because it, it flipped and she is convinced so quickly. <laughs> and then she, the reason she runs out is because she's signing them up for the war effort. So good. It is. And also... And this whole thing of like, Uncle Sam will approve, your mother will approve, the country will approve. It's hot. Well, it's a bit like that old, uh, the sort of back and forth that happens every year about baby, it's cold outside. Yes. And then there's the feminist, the original feminist reading, and then there's the post, post reading, which Mm. is actually, this is at a time when women had very little agency to to openly accept. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. 
offers of, of, of a sexual nature. Yeah. And what this is, the whole song is actually doing, it's him giving her the agency and the license to say, oh, it's cold outside. So yeah. she's playing along with it. It's a playful thing. I read a fantastic... I totally agree with that reading. I, yeah, because uh, yeah. the other one is, it's not. he's not stopping her. You can hear in the performance of the voice because it's not a poem. It's not written down. It's a performance where she's playfully saying, oh, well, I suppose I wouldn't want to get cold. That's what it is. And it's the same thing here where she clearly also wants to have sex with yeah. a cool, hot, sweaty guy. She's just being given completely, you know, I'd say unforgivably, but she's being given... Uh, a justification and you can tell that because in like 19 seconds later she's like okay cool well uh, yeah let's go like I, and I think that like you know obviously it's become I find it very very frustrating because yes there are lots of like problems in media I've not heard about these what are these problems and um, and you know stuff that's like really insidious and really bothers me and rape culture and all that stuff and like and really does um, to sort of fly under the radar and, and has these really insidious moments in culture. And it's important we isolate and talk about them, but I also feel like pointing out uh, like potentially problematic material and then just ending your your sort of discussion of the piece there is very stupid and robs the work of its own cheekiness and its yeah. own no- its own knowledgeability about what it's doing. And everyone on screen knows what it's... It's a very weirdly, like, artistic moment from Grease 2. Yeah, and also you kind of... I mean, I struggle with this where you kind of... You don't want to become so anti-problematic that you become a prude. Yeah. Um, Are we, like, sort of turning ourselves into a nation of Helen Lovejoys, you know? Yeah, exactly. And the thing, it's so funny that, you know, you mentioned about, you know rape culture and patriarchy but one of the things that patriarchy has also done is it has completely removed from almost all culture the idea of women who are also <laughs> sexual yeah <laughs> particularly yeah. you know younger women and you know she's in ireland that's the entire story of the 20th century and many centuries before so there is definitely room for nuance on it and i think stephanie zanoni our dear beloved stephanie zanoni she's a really good example where her central stated issue not her headcanon baby <laughs> thank you for indulging the headcanon baby it's 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 not we have a shared headcanon for that um it's not actually that scrutable like it's kind of she's just she's a bit salty about life she doesn't like johnny anymore but you're not really sure what's motivating her except that she imbues it with a sort of wounded just an iffiness about everything that's going on and because mm. she's such a good actress and a mesmerizing charismatic performer you kind of think yeah I can totally imagine a headcanon baby or I can totally imagine that she has had sex and she didn't enjoy it and she wants to break out of things she definitely seems more worldly yeah yeah she absolutely does and her worldliness isn't it's not even presented uh, the way Rizzo's is in the first one yeah where it's almost like fallen woman kind of thing you know we grow to love Rizzo in the thing but she is she even declares herself that, you know, she has a whole song about all the bad things she's done. And with Stephanie, it's like, we don't even have to say that stuff. She's just badass, cool as hell, and absurdly beautiful, cool yeah. person. Yeah, and ju- just like wordlessly self-possessed in a way that isn't in the dialogue at all, but just like Five is bringing to the role. Yeah, and she's 20, oh, she's you know? 20. And I think she'd been in like one or two things. I think she was kind of, did ads and stuff like that. And she was a beauty queen. Yeah. Um, but like, 
just an, a, such an assured performance. And that whole thing with Cool Rider, right? Like, which I think, like, I, I posted about this on Instagram and, like, so many women just, like, fucking a wall of Cool Rider came back. <laughs> and I do think, like, a lot of a lot of women just saw Stephanie Zanoni straddling that ladder and, like, oh, that's who to be. Yeah. And it's, you could be worse things or, to aspire to. Or had a to. sexual awakening. Or yeah. had, you know, that, some, it was, it, things like that and the uh, Do It For Your Country. They pop out of this film because, as you say, they are. It's like they're from the best version of this movie. Where, yes. I mean, I don't even think Cool Rider is that amazing. It's not an amazing vocal performance necessarily. No. Um, but it's like a real right hand turn in the middle of the film. It's like, yeah. wow, okay, she's just like walking. It's not in a sort of. She's on her own first of all. There's very few solo songs in this one, and she's just like using props and straddling things, and it's. It, she's delivering so much of her I want yeah. just in this one song that she doesn't really in the rest of the dialogue. She's just kind of sort of aloof and cool and sort of like smoking in every sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, she just kind of is, she's just rebel TM, you know? Yeah. Whereas this, that delivers so much of her kind of personality. Even though afterwards you go back and you read it and like, you, you, read the lyrics or you listen to it again you're like the lyrics, she are, just no, the lyrics want, are nothing she yeah. just wants a guy who's got a motorbike that's it, that's it. that is the whole it's deal it's the subtext it's the text it's everything <laughs> totally and um, when you go back to what you said earlier on about how uh, the, the calendar of kittens of like no matter what you put these most of these actors in they look like theatre kids yeah. and, and they sound like theatre kids and that's part of the uh, slightly more alienating parts of the movie but because Michelle Pfeiffer she has no singing or dancing experience really okay that, uh, that checks out yeah um, and except for she just liked to sing and liked to dance and so there, it's almost like there was nothing for her to unlearn to do this performance and so you see her doing that cool rider thing and she's like she gets that because it's all happening backstage at a theatre for this talent show they're all in inexplicably- that's another version of this movie from Rejected Script is yeah. that it's all hinged on a talent show oh yeah that's right that's like and that's a, a fairly a lot of screen time long period of the movie and she sort of leaves the sort of backstage area and she sort of starts dancing out and she starts kind of shuffling her feet, pointing them in and out and in and out and walking and it should not work. Uh, no, but it, it, it does. It does. Somehow. Yeah. Um, you mentioned theatre kids. Can I tell you the ages of the characters? Oh yeah, theater please. That, that is like, if we're talking about Greece as a genre of film, having incredibly old people play 17 year olds. So in ascending order of age, well, first of all, there's Pamela Adlon I know Bobby Hill Bobby Hill um, and she's in like Louie and a few other sort of sitcom yeah love her Uh, I'm so happy to see her amazing she was actually 15 when she okay so um, Pamela Adlon is the youngest pink lady the pink lady in training she's yeah I mean again what what are the what are they setting her up for but also (laughs) fuck Johnny Nagarelli everybody take a step to the right Um, she's yeah, it's like what bureaucracy is happening here where they have to like, do you have to fill out a form? Do you have yeah. to do two years? Is it like a provisional license? It's, it's very like, um, did you ever go to Irish college? I never did. Oh, because you lived in an Irish college. And <laughs> <laughs> but like you, you'd have the Kayleys every night and just whoever you kind of ended up with, you'd end up scoring. <laughs> that's, yeah. just, that's, just, that's the team. Yeah, or lady. like the, all the boys in one end of the room and, and the, other, the girls the yeah. other end and then the, the maddest lad. Would kind yeah. of go into the middle and then slowly but surely, yeah. Yeah, and all the height appropriate people would just match up. I think in the last 14 seconds we have just revealed why they could never make an American version of, or an Irish version of Greece. Yeah. Just be very, very quiet. <laughs> uh, 
nothing would, people would be walking Irish everywhere. version of Greece is just called feet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's an Irish college doing a Kaylee. <laughs> and walking everywhere because they didn't have motorcycles and like staying indoors because it was raining all the time. Okay, so she is 15. She plays Dolores. Okay. She's a very charming performance. She's actually very good. Lovely. So, upwards from that, in the, this is like the main cast, the people that you'd know. Maxwell Caulfield, yeah. stroke Michael Carrington, is 21. Yes. So he's close to age appropriate. I suppose they're supposed to be what, 17 or 18. They're yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Kind of and he, and he, he looks age appropriate. Okay. Michelle Pfeiffer is actually 23, not 20, as I said. Wow. I mean, then it starts to really accelerate. So Johnny <laughs> is 27 at the time. Oh, Johnny Niger, yeah. Um, I mean, he looks 55. I don't have Louis. <laughs> that, 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 like, just for men, black hair in the quiff, it ages up, young man. Yeah. Um, Goose, uh, Chris Mazzola, he's actually 26, so I'll beat him. But the, the 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 high priest of it is Leo Belmudo, Crater Face, from the first movie. Crater Face! Who is 36. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Is he yeah. supposed to be a, a, a co... Like, does he go to a different school? Or is he just an adult that's messing with these teenagers for no reason? <laughs> Rocks up to their school to threaten them on his motorbike. I haven't Crater seen... Face has a bike now. He had <laughs> yeah, a car in the last movie. Like, imagine if you're 16 or 17 years old and like your arch nemesis is like Michael Parkinson on a bike. It's like, how did they even run into each other? What's Leave me alone? What? Stop, please. Oh no, it's Melvin Bragg is coming after me. <laughs> no, but there is that version. You and you're like 14, you go to like the corner shop or something, and like there's like 17 year olds hanging out bullying mm. you, and even then you're like, why? <laughs> Yeah. I am 14. I shouldn't even register on your radar. No, yeah, I should be nothing to you. Stop. Like, And they're talking, like, everything that, they came and they, they come and they trashed the end of school kind of luau, which, yeah. by the way, I didn't get have one of those in my school. To, you didn't have to, that at your grads, no? No. <laughs> you didn't have a luau at the grads. Like, um, they come and they trash it up. It was like, imagine if that was what you were doing. You're 35, you're in a biker. <laughs> you're 35 and you look about 500, by the way. Head cannon, creative faces in them. Oh. No, too, too early for now. Korean Korea. War? Yeah. <laughs> I like America. Yeah. <laughs> I know all the history. Um, but yeah, what, why it doesn't, it, that's never really set up and it's completely tacked on to give it a little bit of continuity from the first and also to have a baddie, I guess. But mm. like, they're in so little screen time and their involvement makes absolutely no sense. Um, and they're also kind of they come and they go and it's all started very quickly they're, it's like yeah. a pap- real paper tiger of a villain and it's um, so it, they are there so um, Michael Carrington can prove himself which um, actually that's something I wanted to ask you about because I've you know as, as a woman I've grown up with uh, the sort of the makeover narrative the, the nerdy girl to the hot girl take off her glasses wow what's it like being a young guy watching one of the few male makeover movies there really aren't that that many I can't really think of any um, of like nerd to cool guy I suppose it's kind of I mean it's actually referenced in the text but like the Superman Clark Kent thing is one I suppose and then also oh, yeah. the flip of that would be Peter Barker and Bruce Wayne and stuff but that that doesn't really work because they are both the same person either way. It's not the same because they're choosing to do that yeah. to um to like they're they're hiding their. Well, he's do- it's basically a reverse Sandra D, which makes yeah. sense because he's the cousin, and that's just what that family does. They change <laughs> they everything change about at themselves. The drop of a hat. <laughs> they change everything about themselves for the person that they're in love with. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting because I never really thought about it that way. I kind of think that's that's quite a brave bit of the text also it's complicated by the fact that I couldn't I don't think anyone could ever possibly judge him for doing that 
because I would lay down in traffic to basically just get to sit very close to Stephanie Zanoni. Yeah. I mean, just wow. To, just to do, oh, when they do their, their, their chemistry is awful. I think. Yeah, it's not great. That that kiss that they have at the end. It's like two chairs. Kissing. It's like, it's like semi-professional porn actors, which is the hideous line between professional porn actors and absolute amateurs who are doing yeah. it for fun. The semi-pros are the yeah, grimmest they're, ones. They're two inside their own heads. They're in their own heads, and they're. It's like they 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 do that that kiss that that the end of movie kiss that teens oh kiss on the lips, but then they just kind of keep going and in he, a way that it feels like it's supposed to devolve into a he, weird awkward sex scene. He also does that thing that kind of I think more of a forties fifties movie star thing where he he kind of like pinches her chin while he's kissing her yeah and it's like it seems so um, it seems patronising almost I mean because obviously you can see movies where maybe they do that and you don't even notice because there's charisma there but without it it just seems like he's like ah little porcelain doll here we go little <laughs> little smackaroo um, but I remember being very uh, in my younger days being very taken with their relationship because I was like god he's like he's realised that the secret is just to be as cool as possible. So for, uh, to answer your earlier question, I think it did burrow into me. It was like, okay, this is the thing that girls like. Because I then extrapolated from that that all girls obviously like motorbikes yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So that was never an option. So I was like, I just, I could just actually just be as cool as possible. And I did, I think all boys do that kind of thing. Um, I remember definitely walking around with, this is, I cannot believe I'm saying this in public, but. Oh my God. Yeah. In my school uniform, so sex on legs already. Love it. What, uh, what color? Maroon? No, navy? not too bad. It was black with oh, good. a white shirt, but I wore a grey shirt because slimming. I don't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. And also slimming. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> um, and I had, uh, I'd always have like something ridiculously ponty, like sticking out of my little blazer pocket, like a, a La Tronge by Albert Camus oh or God. something like that. Yeah, I mean, sexual dynamite, obviously. Love it. As if someone was just going to run across Guildhall Square and say, excuse me, excuse me, sorry, I just saw that you've, you're the sexiest man I've ever seen. Can we please, like, go steady? But that was kind of, and that was me doing a Michael, I suppose. And, like, you know, it, it does seem strange that I haven't seen more movies where someone does that. I mean, yeah. I suppose you could say that all of those Bergerac kind of knockoffs where it's the nerdy guy is getting advice from the hot guy and it's like in an earpiece or he's like running. Oh, court. yeah. That's kind of the same thing, maybe. Yeah. Same, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not really. He's literally putting on a... Oh, by the way, he learns to be an amazing motorcyclist very quickly. But, well, it's over the course of a school year. I still say that's quite quick. Quick, yeah. He's better than everybody else. He's like beating them. He's like doing all these fancy tricks and they're like, hey, we got to get this guy, boys. <laughs> hey, we got to get this guy. Hey, we're just setting up whatever it is you're about to say. Doink. You know, like they're always they're always doing all this stage school stuff. Why are they always so quasi Italian? Yeah, that is also true. The, the greasers. Is like right out high in Queens? Like well, that's the thing. It's in California, I think. Right. But it the, this is I don't know if it's ever actually stated, but I think that's they it was filmed in like three or four different California high schools. Mm-hmm. Um the Rydale High scenes. And it's based on the original writer, who hates Grease too, by the way, hates it and was very upset he wasn't involved. Um, it's based on his experiences in a California high school in right. the 50s. Right. Which, I mean, in what sense based on his experiences, I'm not sure because... Well, here's the thing. As, a, as someone who writes young adult novels and therefore spends a lot of time thinking about my own teens, 
you do remember the horny stuff the most. Do you yeah. remember being horny? You remember being frustrated? <laughs> yeah. And it's not one of those things that's really, I mean, you mentioned earlier about Marion and Connell in Normal People. Like, that's one of the things, particularly particularly in the TV show when you're seeing it on screen, mm. you remember an awful lot of very embarrassing things that you wouldn't understand, you wouldn't otherwise, yeah. you know, when you're seeing it on screen. I don't really get that with Greece because it's so huge and large it doesn't really hit me back to my it hits me back to my childhood watching Greece too. it doesn't <laughs> yes. it has nothing no attendant memories it has nothing to do with my own experience of my teenage years anyway it's my experience of being like 8 to about 13 and watching this movie way way more than is advisable I love that your family because your family is so large that it's big enough to form a consensus Yeah, and in the consensus of that universe this is a classic film yeah well, I mean barely even consensus I'd say dogma like it yeah. was a diktat like this was just one of the it was one of the, the stars of the Hollywood firmament you know um, the gnome was another one which nobody gnome-mobile. has seen the gnome it's about gnomes that drive a car <laughs> Well, yeah, that title's doing a lot of heavy lifting for it. <laughs> um, the one in our family that me and my um, siblings loved was the TV movie of the Bruce Lee story starring Brandon Lee. Oh, wow. In which we were obsessed with this. Brandon Lee has, you know, on-screen sex with the woman who plays his mother. And then in the next scene, she's pregnant. So he he conceives himself, which is the ultimate male fantasy, I think. <laughs> Wow. It's a great movie. It's not good. But it, as far as I was concerned, until I was in my like 20s, I thought this was a movie. It was like Scarface. It was like a movie everybody had seen and knew about. Isn't it interesting? I mean, we obviously having those 800 videos meant we had quite a, a wide diet, but also my dad recorded very strange things. We had like Wurzel Gummidge Down Under, you know. What did we, we had, get up to? I can't remember, but we definitely watched it several times. Uh, but we had... Like, and my dad also re- recorded loads of, um, like, religious-oriented programming, like, sort of the investiture of Catholic bishops, if they were on TV. Um, important he, stuff. Important stuff. And uh, also, do you have that, that great thing of, like, having stuff taped off the TV? So it also means the adverts are yeah. stuck in your head. The best thing in the world. Yeah. So, like, loads of camels serving harp or... Papa and Nicole. Here's the thing what these Brits will never know. Is, is that... Oh, no, wait. Don't tell them. <laughs> don't tell them. I've gotten 50 minutes into the podcast. They deserve to know. Is that Irish ads have the best music ever. Yeah. Fucking Pat the Baker, man. Um, so fresh. It's famous. It's so good. Um, and also they have an attitude to graphic design, which I would describe as... Maverick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like they were well ahead of the game in terms of that ad which is just the card for the place some music and someone saying come down to Castle Town Roach for the spinning wheel <laughs> and it's just a business card so you couldn't even yeah, like film yeah. something yeah. like that predominated throughout my childhood they've kind of gone away I think those ads now. oh no they're still in Cork There's a, this is way off topic there's a cinema in Cork that's on North Main Street and the first thing that you hear when you sit in the cinema is North Main Street Vale <laughs> <laughs> of shops restaurants markets the works See, and now I know all about it. Now you're going to go? Yeah. Okay, we should wrap up for today. Um, but you have a book out about your very large and charming family. I do. It's called Grease 2, The Everlasting Family. <laughs> no, it's called uh, Did You Hear Mammy Died? Um, you were actually one of the very first people to ever read yes! any of this yeah. um, for that uh, for that book event a few years ago. Um, yes, it's way funnier than that title, Did You Hear Mammy Died? Signs. Uh, it's about my childhood 
up to about the age of 11. Grease 2 might not get a mention, but there's a whole chapter just about my dad's video collection, which I think people will enjoy. Um, and yeah, I've I've heard from several people that it's probably probably the best book. It's probably the best book, mm-hmm. I think. You know yeah. books, it's the best one. It's You've heard of books. Yeah. Get ready to meet the best one. <laughs> Someone got to do it one time. Yeah. He did it. Yeah. I, I, it is really good. It is, I think you are Ireland's new David Sedaris, personally. I think oh. that's that's what's in for you. I think you just need to just be gay now, please. Guys, well, I'll, <laughs> I'll get working. Stephanie and Zanoni is not helping. <laughs> but in terms of like, um, it's so, it, uh, hearing about people's families is a bit like hearing people's dreams. It's like, I'm not yeah. in this. And yeah. I'm, no matter how long you talk for, I'm never going to be in it. <laughs> I know. And also, I have to, I, I kind of, the, the sort of, top down story of the book is my mum died when I was very little when I was five and my dad brought up 11 kids by himself on the border during the Troubles so there's loads of bits there that could be quite Frank McCorded up and made quite miserable but the kind of the game and also just the only way that I would be able to write it is by making it filled with jokes Um, mainly because that's just the way I write and secondly because it's true like the things were really really funny it was absolutely absurd you know the title of the book is because I was greeting people in my mum's wake saying did you hear mummy died because I just thought it was the news of the day is there anything else about Grease 2 we want to say we didn't even talk about the talent show where she zones out and sees his dead body and he's a ghost biker yeah and he's like keep me alive Stephanie yeah that one was again very John Watersy. like that no yeah that one knew what it was doing absolutely but it's also it's too it's too self-serious to be camp and too camp to be self-serious. It's kind of, a, it is kind of caught between two sides of the ladder straddled. That It's the mystery of Greece too. You can't tell when they mean it. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it, which makes it like when I was watching it that first time, baffling, but also means I'm going to come back to it. I can't believe you've never seen it before. I'm like, that's actually the biggest surprise to me. I know. I love crap. Yeah. Well, I'm the queen of it. <laughs> Also, is it's the highest rated film of all time. Yeah, so. of course. You've heard of films? This is the best one. Anyway, we gotta go. They're gonna charge me for the extra hour. <laughs> <laughs> bye, Seamus. Thank you. Bye, bye. Thank you for having me. This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline. That's C Z A R O L I N E. Or email me about the podcast at sentimentalpod at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thank you to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the artwork, and Hannah Varro for the mixing. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com